Thanks for listening to the Redemption Hill podcast. As a community, we are learning the way of Jesus and serving our city. Redemption Hill is kind of different. We are a collective of micro churches that gather together on Sundays to grow and connect and worship. So don't wait anymore. Join us Sundays at Boise Friends Church in the gym at 10.30 a.m. and get connected to the community you need in this season of your life. All the details you need are at redemptionboise.org. Up next is the training and teaching time from this week's gathering. Stay tuned after the sermon for more info on how to get connected. It's good to be here. I spent, I had, had the privilege to spend a, about a little over two days this week up at uh, the Jenkins cabin up in Cascade and took quite a bit of time just to, to pray, to listen, to spend time uh, working through this, this new sermon series in Ephesians. And it was, uh, you know, it's during, during COVID and with little kids, it's hard to find space to, to clear my mind, but it was a, a real gift this week to have a little bit of space. And hopefully that shows up in some clarity, <laughs> both in the uh, both in our teaching and also um, what, I, what I want for my life and I hope what you want for your life is to hear our Father, to hear God's voice. And it's not easy. It's not something that happens on its own. It's not, he doesn't, he doesn't scream unless he has to. Just like, he's just like a parent. <laughs> I tell my kids, they made me scream, right? <laughs> like that's, that's on them because <laughs> they didn't listen. That's, that's the way our Heavenly Father is, where he, he wants to speak, he wants for us to hear his voice, and uh, most of the time, it requires us to stop and to lean in and to listen. And so I pray that you, along with me and others in our community, are pursuing that, that margin, that Sabbath space to listen to our Father. We're in a new series today called Plan, God's Purpose for a Fractured World. We're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians, and have we handed out those worksheets? Ernie's doing it right now. Okay. Hopefully, you got the passage in front of you. I want to have something physical, and if you don't have a pen, you can go grab one of those as well, but um, we're going to be kind of deep in the Word. We've got, we got 13 weeks. We're going to work through Ephesians. It's not a long book, um, but we want to do some close reading. I want to give some space for that, and just by way of introduction, my... When I was in seventh grade, who here has fond memories of seventh grade? I don't, I don't see a lot of hands, just a couple. <laughs> seventh grade. Sean, you remember seventh grade? That was, that was pretty fun, yeah. It was actually one of, my, one of my best years. I had moved schools, and it was, uh, it was going pretty well. I had kind of hit my stride. The year before had been a train wreck. My sister had lost her sight, and my Family was just in turmoil for a whole year, so my seventh grade year was like a recovery year. Things were just going awesome, and on April 1st of seventh grade, I was at our church skate night at the Roller Drome in Nampa, which, you know, special days at the Roller Drome in Nampa, uh, seeing all those camp flings come back into your life, and uh, while I was there, and we were doing the, uh, uh, I don't know, what do you call it when you... The limbo, that's it, the limbo, the skate limbo. It's a different limbo. You can't skate 
in a real limbo post. So it's just like get as low as you can. Um, as I was coming around, my jacket caught under my skate and I broke my ankle. And it, like the tibia, the growth plate of the tibia just snapped and it looked grotesque. And it was like this year they'd been going so great, just all of a sudden transformed from one of the best years of my life into one of the hardest years of my life. Um, I was just coming into my own uh, in, in terms of athletics, and I was poised to move into this premier soccer team that I was hoping to make. I had been on it when I was in fifth grade, and then I had two years on this kind of developmental team, and I was stepping into this new team, and the tryouts were in May. And of course, with a broken leg, not only was I not able to try out and join this team that I was hoping to join, but the team that I had been on, they got a new coach, and he said, listen, I don't even know if I'm going to have a place for you if, you're, if your leg's broken, because who knows what, you know, what shape you're going to be in when you come back. And I think middle school stories carry lots of weight because all, all of the hormonal work that our bodies are doing and all the developmental work that our brains are doing, it makes them very emotionally just overwhelming times. But for me in seventh grade, it, it wasn't just the disappointment of losing my place on the team. It wasn't the disappointment of my ego having to pull back and say, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I don't have a I don't have an opportunity to prove myself. But primarily why it hurt so bad and why it, why it has been such a shaping moment in my life is because I lost my sense of who I was and where I belonged, what tribe I was a part of. When you're in sports in middle school and high school, that is your posse. Those are your people. That is where you get your sense of strength and your sense of I can make it through this world because I have people alongside of me. Who's got my back? Who's gonna stand up to the bullies in my life? Who's gonna answer the call when I need somebody to hang out with on Friday night? So much of our world revolves around who's in our circle and who's outside of our circle. Where do I belong? When you look at what drives most of the things that we spend our time in, those are still the same questions that we have today. When you watch sports, every sports show has a segment, who's in, who's out, when it comes to the playoffs. The whole offseason is about who's in, who's out, who's on the team, who's getting dropped. Tomorrow is going to be a terrible day for about 15 NFL football coaches. They're all going to lose their jobs because they have lost this season. It's all about who's in, who's out. Celebrity gossip is the same thing. Who's in, who's out, who belongs, who's in the in crowd, who's getting that movie, who doesn't belong. Politics, it's all about this zero-sum game of Who's in, who, who's a part of the team that has control, who's a part of the team that's losing in politics. Even in our families, there's the constant drama of our families of who's on the in and who's on the out. Who belongs and who do we not call when we want to have a good time with our family? Who's in and who's out? We define our identity primarily, not intrinsically, but extrinsically. I am who I am because the people around me reflect who I am. Me belonging is how I determine how I see myself. It's so deep and so important and so primal and so much a part of just what we are as humans that when we try to pretend like we can shape a life that's built intrinsically, what happens is we crumble in on ourselves because we need community to help us determine what 
and who we belong to. And this is the primary story of history. Who is in, who's out. And with the redemption history that we're, we're, we're reading in the Bible, there's this specific story that God is telling about who is in and who is out. It starts with God has this beautiful little family in the Trinity. From the beginning of, of, of all things, it starts with his little family. Everybody belongs, everybody's in, and he has this coterie of, of, of angelic beings who, who are all in. They belong to him because he made them. And then he wants to make it bigger. He wants to make a bigger family so he can shower his love on them and they'll belong to him. And he creates all of creation for that purpose. And then humans, we run away from God's presence and we, we push ourselves outside of God's circle and try to create a new circle without God in it. And then God spends the rest of human history trying to get us to belong to his family again, culminating in the work of Christ being pushed outside of God's family so that you and I can then belong to God's family. And in the end, what we see in the scripture is that all of creation will be reconciled under the kingship of Jesus. That that is the work that God is doing. And we're in Ephesians and it's working through really a concise, what, what I'm gonna call a three-part plan of God that's his divine plan to determine who's in his family and who's out of his family. And I don't know if you follow theology much, but this question of who's in and who's out drives most of what separates the church across our denominational lines and our theological lines. How do we determine who's inside of God's family and who's outside of God's family? And Ephesians has a particular place because it talks a lot about God's plan and it talks a lot about what God has determined beforehand. And you've probably heard about this big group of theological, like a stream of theology called Reformed Theology. And they believe in, a, and some, some within that camp believe in a sort of like radical predestination that God has determined a plan from before time. It verges on deism in that it, it sees it like a, it's like a, a, a watchmaker God. He set all things in motion and he's watching it unfold according to his plan and his purpose. And we are just mechanisms and cogs and wheels in that theological system. We don't have much agency. We don't have much will as humans. We are, we are just subject to what's happening and what God has decided. And when they talk about who is chosen, they believe that God does what he, they call double predestination. Double predestination is God chooses some to be a part of his family, and God chooses some to be destroyed. The double predestination means God chooses both of those groups of people. And we're going to touch on some of those issues because I think that that vision and that story and how we talk about God's plan and God's purpose shapes every moment of how we relate to God. Because if he is detached and he's this deist God who started everything and has planned it all out and we don't have any agency or will in it, the way we engage with God theologically and in our spiritual life is going to be different than if we believe that we have a part to play in the work that God is doing in the world. And so we're gonna be, be talking through that. If God says that he chose some people to be a part of his family, which 
you'll see in Ephesians, he says that God chose some people to be a part of his family. I want you to just stop for a second. And when I say God chose some people to be a part of his family, what's your, of these three responses, what's your response? The first response is, of course he chose me. I'm one of his. I'm one of his kind of people. The second response is, oh, God would never choose me. Look at the mess that I am. I'm not a lucky person. God probably chose me for destruction. Or the third option is, gosh, I hope he chose me, but I have no idea. And when you look at the body of evidence of my life, it probably means I, I don't know if I'm in or I'm out. So I just want you to start there. Of those three options, what's your, your natural emotional response to those options? See? <laughs> All right, I mean, let's, let's raise hands, sure. Who, who feels like, yeah, of course I'm a part of God's family. Why wouldn't he choose me? Look at me. <laughs> there's, a, there's a few hands, I got you. <laughs> Glenn's like, yeah, of, of course. <laughs> um, who of you is like, God would never choose somebody like me. Look at, look at my life. Why, I mean, you're here, so you must think there's some chance, right? Who's, who feels C? Who feels C that... I, I hope I'm somebody that God would choose. D, all the above. I don't think that actually works here. Um, all right, so we're gonna, we're gonna be diving in. We're gonna start with Ephesians. Now, Ephesians is this book. Can we turn the, like, the middle lights on? It's kind of, it's dark in here, and they're gonna need to, to write here in a second. Ephesians is a book that has, uh, it was written to the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was in a major port city of Asia Minor, um, and it was, a, it was a really important city. It's a lot like Chicago or L.A. or Houston would be in America, kind of a second city. It's not the major city of the Roman Empire, which was the Roman metroplex and the center of the Italian peninsula. But Ephesus was a major, major hub in Asia Minor, which is on the you know, the Macedonian coast of Greece and Turkey in that region. It's, I think it's in Turkey currently, um, under the current border. But it, it actually doesn't have a, the, I think the, the passageway was silted in, so it doesn't have a harbor anymore. It was this major freight city that can't receive freight anymore, which is what happens um, along a lot of coastlines. Um, but it had this, this church in Asia Minor, which was spread out throughout these cities all around Ephesus. And so when this book was sent to the Ephesians, it was sent to the churches in Asia Minor as an encyclical or something that would be copied and shared and sent around. And it has universal themes and applications that are different than what you see in many of Paul's other books that had much more specific writing to a specific situation. And what you find in Ephesians, particularly, is there's no uh, personal greetings, which you find across most of Paul's letters that were written to particular churches. So we think that Ephesians is one of those books that was taken as an early, what they called catechesis, or it had the center of the theology and the work of the early church. And so it's really universal, it's powerful, it touches on lots of major themes, and that's, that's part of the reason why we're diving into it is because we think it, it speaks to us as Gentile believers in a particular way that we, we want to grab hold of. Now in Ephesus, just by way of background, there was this massive temple to the goddess Diana in Greek, or, or sorry, Artemis in Greek, or Diana in 
um, Latin, and it was the largest structure in the world. Okay, I just want you to imagine four Parthenons fit inside the temple of Artemis. It was the length and the size of an American football pitch. So you're talking 140 yards long. It's this massive thing. It's one of the ancient wonders of the world. Um, and it, it, was, it shows you that in that city, that fertility particularly, Artemis and Diana were the goddesses of animal fertility and of human fertility. So if you wanted to see and have birth or sex, that was the place that you went to get the, the favor of Artemis so that your family could grow. Um, it was also a prominent religious city in that 50 deities had temples in Ephesus itself. It was, it was a major spot where people from all around the region would come and offer sacrifices to the Roman gods so that the Roman gods would bless Rome with this incredible wealth and peace and prosperity that they had been working towards for generations. And you'll also see that there's a lot in Ephesians that overlaps with Colossians. And the church in Colossae is another church in Asia Minor that was in that region. Um, and one-third of the verses from Ephesians have some correlation in Colossians. So you're going to find that these two books are kind of the two universal books for the early church that were sent around and dispersed widely. We have lots and lots of manuscripts of these books from kind of all over the region. Okay, So what we're going to do now is... I want to give you a chance to dive into the text before I dive into the text, because I want you to, to step into it, and then as a group, we're going we're gonna to kind of dive into it, okay? So you guys all have the passage in front of you from Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 14, and I have four questions for you. Are they there? There we go. Okay. So here's the four questions I want you to ask while you're reading through it. What are the big themes that you're, see, that you're seeing in the text? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? And what should we do in light of this text? So take, we're going to take five minutes, give you a little bit of space. It's not, this isn't going to be a deep dive. This is just a starting point. Then we're going to circle up, we'll talk about it, and then we'll continue on. So take five minutes. Grab a pen, you're probably going to need one, or if you want, use your Bible app or whatever. Take your time, and we're going to be diving in. We could put a five, I guess, I'll do, I'll do a five-minute timer. Well, we need the questions, so I'll, I'll do a timer.
you got 30 seconds left, so wrap up those four questions. it and we will talk through some of the things you're seeing. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. This is the word of God. Um, so as you're reading, what were the things that stuck out to you? What were the themes that popped up more than once or something that was prominent? The kindness of God. Yes, we see, I think, four times in there. There's, it's God's gift and God's kindness and God's initiation. Absolutely. Unity in Christ? Yes. Yes. That's a, a major theme we're going to find throughout this is unity comes from our oneness with Christ being in him. Yeah, yeah. Family pile of fun. Yeah. For those of you at home, Crystal just said God wants us to really be in on God's family pile of fun, which I think is true. I think like it's it is about the Gentiles, which this is written to a Gentile crowd. It was probably a mixture of Jews and Gentiles who had come to faith in Ephesus and in Asia Minor, and they were you know it was probably ten percent of Asia Minor was Jewish at the time. And so this was, this was God saying, not only do the Jews belong, but there's this bigger family, absolutely. 
What are the themes do you see in there? Anything? Yes, God has this plan that he's working out and it's his initiative, his emphasis. He's, he's doing it, yes. Yes, yeah, it, it says, yeah, God, God wasn't surprised at all by sin and, and by the brokenness of this world. From the beginning, he had this particular plan in place. Okay, so we kind of worked through that first question. The second question is, what do we learn about God and his character and who he is? We'll, we'll do that one, then we'll dive in, and then we'll kind of come back at the end. What do we learn about who God is? What surprised you about this? He's very generous. He's giving away an inheritance to the Gentiles and the Jews who are adopted into his family. Like, there's something radical about that, right? What's that? All who believe, yes. So there's this, like, incredible generosity. It's not... It's not just the, the sacred few, yeah. He knows where he's going. Like there's a, an end or a plan. That's comforting, right? There's something deeply comforting that God has a plan. He sees where he's going and he goes there. Now, I don't know about in your relationships, but in my marriage, when my wife doesn't know that I have a plan and I don't tell her the plan and I ask her to just trust me, I have a plan. She wants to know what it is most of the time, right? And I think that that's, Ephesians is God revealing a, a taste of how the plan works. We're going to see that here. So let's, let's dive in. Verse 1, chapter 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Paul was an unlikely choice because he hated God's people. He hated the church. He worked to destroy the church. For Paul to be included as one of the chosen of God's family is itself a radical act of God's generosity. And he was chosen not just to be a part, but he was chosen to be an apostle, which is, just means the sent one, someone who's sent with a mission from God. And pay attention, we're going to be coming back in Ephesians 4 to that idea of apostle. It's important to what God's doing. Um, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. Now, this phrase, holy people, um, is used widely throughout Jewish literature to only refer to who? The Jews. God's people that he had set aside from the time of Abraham for his purpose. And so Paul here when we hear the word choice and chosen and we see God has a plan, we always think that it's an exclusionary plan. But what we see in this first, very first verse of this book is that God's plan is to call people who were once filthy animals, who Jesus referred to as dogs. Do you remember that? When Jesus referred to the, the dogs who were the Samaritans and the Gentiles that were getting the table scraps of the Jews? that once people who were far away from God are being called holy, which means set apart, and faithful followers, which means that they have, they have a character quality that's of God 
his faithfulness. This chosen is a different kind of chosen than the way I choose because all of our choices start with me including some and excluding others. Because choice is so valuable, we think that it's more valuable if we exclude some. But what we see here is that God's kind of choice is different. Thanks for listening to our weekly podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get them in your podcast feed. You can find ways to connect with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org connection. Fill out the form for a free gift from us. We care about you and want to help you find your way back to God. Follow at Redemption Boise on Instagram for regular encouragement.